Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to Album Addicts, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. Before we get started, we want to acknowledge that today, as we're recording, September 22nd, it is Mr. Ray's birthday. Happy birthday, dude. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, uh... It's been a good one. Got to do a little swim. I went swimming today and polar out like ice, like water. <laughs> Seemed like cause where we we're at, it was like out to the eighties today. Yeah. Um. So we thought, yeah, it might not be too bad. But then as I got down to the the place where we swam, I was like, wait a second, we've had some pretty close to frost <laughs> times. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I pretty much almost had a heart attack. I was like, screw it. I'm 46 now. It's just <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. I get the big one early, and I'll just get stuffed in the ground. It's all good. All right. <laughs> On this episode, we have a fellow podcaster joining us from the Potter Than Hell podcast, Mr. Steve Wright. Steve, welcome to Album Addicts. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, and um, happy birthday, Ray. Oh, thank you very much. Glad you had a good day, and uh, I hope your uh, your sack, like, loosen up after getting in that cold water. You know, he's going to relax tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take one more hot bath and cough real hard before they, they come out of my stomach. But, uh, there you go. <laughs> significant shrinkage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Mushroom Cap City today. <laughs> so on this episode, we're going to review Styx's 1977 album, The Grand Illusion. Steve, how did you discover Styx and this album in particular? Well... I discovered this album actually, I think, 1978. Um, I was uh, 10 years old, and I was a massive Kiss fan. And the only really music I listened to at the time was uh, like my parents' old uh, Elvis record, uh, live from Hawaii via satellite, and <laughs> and Kiss. And we went to my uncle was an Air Force Base commander, and they were stationed in um, at March Air Force Base in Riverside, California. We went to visit them that summer, and I was going through my cousin Robin's uh, records and I saw you know the Sticks Grand Illusion I'm like what the hell is this so I, I put it on and it was like holy shit and like so different from Kiss I was like what but I I loved it I don't know if it was just the the keyboards in it or that it was so different but it was like still rocking but I it, it really just grabbed me like from the from the very start and it's it's a desert island album for me absolutely all right Ray I think it was like I think I was right. You know, kindergarten or first grade. So I was in like, you know, the 79, 80 time period. And of course, Babe was like the single that I had heard. It was like on top 40 radio. Yeah. In fact, my introduction to the band was through Casey Kasem. Next up is a band with a name originating from Greek mythology. <laughs> and then, like, you know, his whole Casey Kasem bullshit thing, you know, screaming about his bad cup of tea. Uh, <laughs> but that was released, which I was kind of lukewarm to as a little kid. But the best of times I really liked. And then, of course, they released, you know, Mr. Roboto. And, yeah, I thought that song was awesome. I'm Kilroy! Yeah! <laughs> Looking back, I can see there's a little bit of fromage dip in it, but that's still okay. <laughs> and my brother actually had the 45 of that, and it had Snowblind on the other side. Snowblind was actually a really a kick-ass song. Um, I don't know why they didn't release that. But um, other than that, like, I was exposed, like, mostly through classic rock radio and a lot of things with sticks. I've, you know, kind of had, like, a back-and-forth relationship with with them and lots of it was like my I was always like mixed feelings about Dennis DeYoung's vocals sometimes I really like them and then sometimes I'm kind of like not so much mm -hmm. um, but I think between him and Tommy Shaw was a good mix and as far as this album was concerned my introduction to it was I just started listening to the entire album last week other than that the only thing I knew about it was Jim Carrey lost his virginity to the title track Wow. Yeah. Where'd that come? Oh. How that? <laughs> How, what, when did you say that? Oh, in an interview years ago, back in the 90s when he was at his zenith. He oh, was man. Like, they like, so tell us about your first sexual experience, Jim. And he's like, yeah, I lost my virginity to the Grand Illusion album. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I, like I hope you got past the first song. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Jeez. Can you feel this? <laughs> I have always been a very casual fan of Sticks. I know and like the hits they had over the years. I thought they were pretty cool, but I never heard anything that made me have to go out and buy a Sticks record until now. So this is the first Sticks album I've ever owned and listened to front to back, and that's basically it. There you have it. Right on. Wow. So here are some basic facts about this record, and when you need the facts, who are you going to call? Wikipedia. The Grand Illusion is the seventh studio album by American rock band Styx, released on July 7th, 1977 on A&M Records. It was produced by Styx and was recorded in 1977 at Paragon Recording Studios, Chicago, Illinois. 
It reached number six on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified three times platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the band's lineup card. We have Dennis DeYoung on vocals and keyboards, Tommy Shaw on vocals, electric and acoustic guitars, James J.Y. Young on vocals, electric guitars and synthesizer, Chuck Pinozo on bass guitar, and John Pinozo on drums and percussion. Are they related or something? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> could be. They could be. Yeah. <laughs> Four and a couple seconds apart, even. <laughs> okay, let's delve into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The lead-off track is the title track, The Grand Illusion, written by Dennis DeYoung. Steve, what do you think of this? I love it. Like I said, uh, this was the the first my first exposure to Sticks, and unlike a lot of people that you know may like uh, Ray, you know he, he heard Babe first. A lot of people earlier probably heard Come Sail Away and stuff like that. I was not familiar with anything, so like the whole album was just totally new to me. And uh, at the beginning of this, with the the keyboards and stuff, that's what like automatically like got me. Like holy shit, it was like kind of like a like a triumphant kind of beginning to it, and. Um, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned a couple times this song, the pick scrapes in the song. You got them at the beginning. You got them towards the end. And the lyrics, the lyrics you could kind of put to today with the exception of, um, so if you think your life is in complete confusion because you never win the game, just remember it's a grand illusion because deep inside we're all the same. If you put in there because you don't win the game or get a participation trophy, that would be fucking perfect. For <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would that would reflect today, wouldn't it? And, yeah. Yeah. That would definitely do it, you know, and just throw the internet in there somewhere. And <laughs> I think it's great. I love the, uh, like I said, I love the pig scrapes. Just the the vocals on this band, just the background vocals and everything is was like totally different from what I was used to hearing. Um, JY soloing near the end is fantastic. And um I just love it. I think it's friggin' great. And uh, like Tommy Shaw's guitar solo in the song is friggin' excellent. And uh, it's just a, I think it's a great start to the album. Now, who does what? There's two solos in this song. Yeah. Who does what? There's one kind of Brian May kind of a solo towards the end. And... Yeah, Tommy does the first solo, I think. And I think JY does the one at the end. The second one. Oh, okay, great. All right. Yeah. Ray, what do you think? The song, it's an awesome way to kick off the, the entire album. It's got that epic intro with the triplet note melody on the organ and the snare drum with those guitars in the background. Um, they they have like this, this overall arena rock sound that I think is probably neck and neck with Queen at this time in their career. It's what it sounds like to me. I could almost like see people like making comparisons, not saying like they sound like Queen, but they I think there's a similar kind of vibe that they yeah. have between both bands. It's got a very powerful verse section. <laughs> Dennis DeYoung's organ is right in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Just where it needs to be. Right. He said organ. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote that today. And I was like, I got to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got a cool pre-chorus. It's got a little bit like it, the, the whole intensity drops down a little bit and then it kind of comes back in, in the pre-chorus section. And of course, the, the, cor- the chorus itself is classic. Um, Chuck Pinozo's bass line is kind of not showy. And it's really kind of, um, it moves along, you know, it moves that whole part along. If, if you took it out of there and just like had him hitting like, root, that'd be that'd be kind of lame but yeah. he doesn't he definitely makes good use of how, t- the bass manipulating that song and there's always solid vocal harms with these guys and one of my favorite things about sticks is the vocal harmonies um i actually prefer when DeYoung is like getting his like histrionic kind of vocal stuff in the harmonies in the background it just i think it defines them and it separates them from like a lot of other bands the solo is kind of Got like an odd wow wow working out in it, and it's, it's like a blues rock solo, but it's good. That first one, the first one, but it's not like yeah. necessarily like mm-hmm. you know gunslinging. Yeah, and the return, and it goes back to the return, return to the intro, and John Pinoza has these um, fills that are like really kind of cool when they go back to that. Um, the outro solo is really tastefully executed, and it returns to the chorus with solo break in the guitar, and it goes back out in the intro section. So man, this is like the perfect way to open an album, if you ask me. Yeah. 
This is one of the three tracks I knew from the radio. The radio plays this. It starts bombastically with the guitars, drums, and keyboards coming on like it's the opening of a rock circus or almost like a Broadway show, like a rock opera, mm-hmm. if you will. Dennis DeYoung then becomes like the ringmaster, welcoming us to the album as well as the track with his big voice. It's high and clear as a bell with no trace of grit in his timbre, and I do like it. Mm. He's backed up by organ. and cool guitar pick slides like Steve was saying and as the song transitions to the different sections the rhythms change but the sound stays sweeping and very progressive rock inflected while maintaining that carnival atmosphere I always get the feeling like uh, like there should be like trapeze artists flying over our heads and shit when Mm -hmm. I listen to this the rhythm section is impressive as the Pinozo brothers stay locked in with each other and yet have enough room to do their own thing. I particularly like Chuck's bass in the pre-chorus and chorus sections where he goes for higher notes and plays around with the bass lines a little bit. Mm-hmm. The guitarists have some good interplay that I'm a sucker for, but when we get to that first solo, I don't know which one's playing it. I think you, you, this is Tommy you said, Steve, that first solo? Yeah, well, I, I'm the ones I've seen live, he's been he okay. playing Mm-hmm. The tone of his guitar bugs me for some reason. It mm-hmm. almost sounds like a talk box. Yeah, it's I was wondering if he was like slowly rocking the wah yeah. a little bit. I know so. it's not a talk box, yeah. but it almost sounds like that. It just fucking bugs me because uh. everybody, everybody knows on this show I fucking hate <laughs> yeah. talk box. So that solo, even though it's well played, just mm. the sound of it bothers me. <laughs> it just chaps my ass. The second solo, however, sounds sweet to my ears. I really yeah. dig that one a lot more, and it's more soaring. As we wind down to the end of the track, there's a quieter passage where Dennis makes a sort of final statement and the intro passage returns to fade the song out, like you said, Ray. Mm -hmm. Lyrically, to me, it's stating that life as we've come to know it, wanting to buy and own things, wanting wealth and status, being envious of what others seem to have, perpetuated and encouraged by the government and the media, all this shit is not truly important. It does not reflect on who we really are. We're all human. We're all the same deep down inside. I dig the shit out of this, and though it was never a single, it's often played on classic rock radio. Welcome to the Grand Illusion. The next track is Fooling Yourself, The Angry Young Man, written by Tommy Shaw. Steve, let's have it. Aaron. Yes. Relax. Take it easy. <laughs> all right? Okay, I, all right. I rewound right, that like three right, times. Deep, deep, deep breath. <sighs> okay. <laughs> okay. Good to go? Okay. Um, I think the song is cool, and, and I really think that he wrote this song about J.Y. Because he see like, if you listen to his songs in Sticks, he has a very cynical side to his lyrics when he writes a song. Um, when we get into uh, Miss America down the line there, a very cynical song and I think he's I think he wrote this song about him and I think it's it's really cool uh the acoustic guitar is very prominent in it and actually I was just watching a a video of this uh there's a you know the old kiss video from the winterland back in the in the 70s the black and white oh yeah there's actually a sticks concert from the winterland black and white and they have pretty much the whole show and when uh, Tommy plays the acoustic parts on this song live back, you know, when they first came out with this, um, he did it on a on like the, the Jimmy Page double neck uh, electric guitar. Oh, cool. And he did the uh, the acoustic part on the 12 string part. And I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Now he does it when they do it live. He does it with a, like this big ass acoustic guitar. And um, I think it sounds way better with the with the actual acoustic guitar on there. But yeah. the, the synth is cool. And like if you get into lyrics like. He, this this guy just thinks too much, you know. He's uh, very worked up and everything like that. I think he needs to just kind of kind of calm down. Like he says in the beginning, relax, take it easy. The vocals are are very melodic, and there's a lot of them too. There's a lot of background vocals on this song. I think it's great. The keyboard uh, up tempos towards the end, and then at the end you get that little kind of jazz jam on there, and then you get a very smooth kind of keyboard solo to, to wrap this song up. And uh, I think they're off to a great start on this album. All right, Ray. Um, it's, this is a, this is another song I was exposed to on like classic rock radio, and it's a great song. It starts out with that cool pedal tone synth intro, that, yeah. which is awesome. 
I think. What does it do? Yeah, because that's like my atonal version of it. The young synth worker, I think, is actually kind of underrated in like rock history. I mean, you don't really hear much about it. From what I've read, he's he's almost kind of self-taught too, you know, which is kind of amazing. But I love it. Uh, I, actually, the acoustic and the keyboards kind of play like an ascending and descending pattern together, which I like that. It's really, I don't even know. It's a weird. It doesn't sound like a regular 4-4 four, four time meter, but it's something. Um, then they have hold on that, hang on that one quarter on the one twelve mark. And they jump into the verse section. It's got kind of like jangly acoustic guitars, almost kind of like a Zeppelin-y kind of a vibe to it. Chuck Pinoza's got like an octave bass thing, which you know usually associate with disco and stuff like that, or the beginning of... Uh, Leave Me Alone, It's My Life, <laughs> Billy Joel, which I heard, I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of like yes, that, but, but it's cool. It's kind of interesting that, like, what I'm assuming is the pre-chorus of the song, they actually put the song title and it's not in the chorus itself, so right. I, I like that. It, it changes things up a little bit. Uh, and the chorus has got those classic stick vocal harms that, it, that always sound great. I think it's funny because, like, Tommy Shaw and Dennis DeYoung have, like, really similar vocal ranges as tenors, but you can definitely tell the distinct difference between the two yes. of them. Right. I, I'm back and forth with DeYoung because I think the songs that he does do pick his leads on, he can sometimes really good because he's got that almost like a Motowny R&B kind of a vibe where Tommy Shaw is just like a little bit more, you know, kind of just out there, yeah. you know, and just kind of more standard. But it's, I still love him. But generally, I tend to lean more towards like if I'm going to listen to a stick song, I would like more often than not to hear Tommy Shaw. Mm-hmm. And you got a nice keyboard solo by uh, Dennis DeYoung once again. It's got that lucky man kind of effect to it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. And that was just my bad keyboard impression. There's going to be a couple of these tonight, people. I'll try to keep them at a minimum, and I apologize. So Stick to guitars, Ray. Yo, all right, I got it. All right, we'll yeah. do it. Stick with it. Right what you know, right? Right what you know. <laughs> when I think of sticks, this is definitely one of those tracks that comes immediately to my mind. Dennis plays that squiggly, that's the best way I can describe it, synth line. Well, how's it sound? Wee, 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 Good, good, good. <laughs> And then Tommy's acoustic guitar comes in to fill out the cool-ass intro, and it's not in 4-4, it's in 6-8 time. Whoa, okay. And then Tommy's guitar takes center stage for a bit as the time signature shifts to Mm 4-4, and the bass shows up playing those octave notes. Like you said, there is a little bit of disco inflection in here. It's funny. Well, it's the right era. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tommy's voice, like you were saying, is on the higher side as well as Dennis's, though it's not quite as powerful. Like, Dennis is like, Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, A little more subdued. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But they do complement each other well with the high harmonies on the big chorus, which is a hallmark of this band. When you hear the chorus, mm-hmm. a sticks chorus, you go, yep, that sticks. Yep, shit, yeah. Dennis plays a synth solo as the music switches to 7-4 time, <laughs> and it does sound very 70s prog rock, but I like that kind of shit, so that's just fine with me. I dig the vocal melodies, and the chorus is a super catchy earworm. The lyrics, now, Tommy said that they were written about Dennis DeYoung, not J.Y., it was seen through his oh. through, through Tommy's eyes, who perceived him as a cynical, angry young man who mistrusted Sticks' success and got angry or depressed with any setback. Tommy's picking Dennis up, telling him that he's got a bright future and the world is in the palm of his hand. Apparently, Dennis was prone to depression, okay. and he was super, super depressed before they actually started writing and recording this album. He thought that Sticks mm-hmm. was going to be bigger, and I think he had like higher expectations for the band. Right, and right, they yeah. weren't happening for him, so he was kind of down, and Tommy's like saying, come on, dude, we, mm-hmm. you know, come on, it's <laughs> all right. And at the end of the track, it reverts back to the 6-8 time, and Dennis plays us out with some more synth lines. I dig this. It was the second single from the album that reached number 29 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. Now, Steve, this is this is Tommy's first album with him, or is it his second? Uh, it's his second. Crystal Ball oh. was the first one. Okay, and gotcha. If you go back and listen to that, that's a fucking rocking album. Crystal Ball is? Yep. All right. Well, now that I've given this album a, sh- a chance, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, definitely. That's that's I think it's got more of a like a hard rock element and like a little less of the, the proggy stuff on that album. Mm-hmm. And they I, they just really went for that feel on this album. Would you say that this is a good album to start with with Sticks, though, overall? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 I'd say this would be the one to hand someone and say, check these guys out. If you like this stuff, you'll like all the stuff from like a little bit before that on. Which is kind of what this did for me, which is mm-hmm. this is what you did for me. Because this is my starter record with sticks, yeah. so there you go. Yeah, same oh, cool. here. Yep, yep. Two converts. Yep. You get the steak knives. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. I hope they're Ginsu steak knives. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the following track is Superstars, written by Dennis DeYoung, Tommy Shaw, and James J.Y. Young.
Steve, what do you think? This song, I, I, I feel a little back and forth on this song. The vocal melodies are, are very high. I mean, this is a song like one of them you hear, you instantly think, you know, it sticks. But I have a question. Um, you guys listen to this song. Is this Sticks' version of Kiss's Great Expectations? Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> hey. You know, you're, you know, the girl's calling from the shadow of the 14th row. The only thing she's not doing is clutching her breast. Ah, really? <laughs> That's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I like this, too, because, like, um, is, is he, uh, like, going to take this girl? They're going to fly so high. Is he going to pick her up and smoke some weed backstage or something after the show? No. Um, <laughs> Never. Not, not the 70s. No, no. way. Um, <laughs> um, I like the dual melodic solo in it. Uh, the, yeah. the spoken part. Um, Dennis DeYoung, he's like a fucking carnival barker. Yes. You know, you and I, yes, yes, you and I. I'm like, I could, and Aaron, you said it perfectly. You could picture it like a kind of a circus or carnival type atmosphere with some of these songs on here. And this is definitely him with the top hat, you know, opening the curtain, you know, you know, here we are. Here's the superstars. I, I think it's great. And, you know, it kind of, I kind of like the song, how it fades out. I'm not a, a great person that likes a lot of songs that fade out i like the hard endings that's like i like a lot of live music because they you know they don't fade them out unless they're using tapes but i just kind of like how like they're kind of flying off into into space in a cloud of weed smoke yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> right once like I, i'm probably gonna reiterate some things that were previously said by steve but um i kind of like how it starts out with like almost like a synth driven and anthemic power pop and then it kind of b- slows down to this prowling groove with that guitar if that don't that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has got the classic Sticks vocal harms, which we all know and love. Uh, I think it's a real decent perform- vocal performance by Tommy Shu, on the, especially on the verse section. Um, they come in with some guitar harmonies midsection, which Steve had mentioned, which sound really, really awesome. And Chuck Pinozo does this like root to the seventh below it bass part that kind of comes back again in the grand finale, which we will talk about when it comes to the grand finale. But how they meld uh, the first and third song, which is really kind of cool. So I like I actually like this one. This is like one of my faves off this album. Yeah. To my ears, this one rocks a little harder. The guitars are a little bit more up front, though. Dennis does keep an atmospheric keyboard presence with brief dramatic flourishes here and there. I dig both the mid-tempo intro and then the main riff. Like you said that, what, how do you describe it? Prowling? Yeah. Oh, I love that way that you, that's described. And the guitars and keys play that together, and then they drop out, leaving only the bass and drums to start off the verses. Tommy takes the lead vocals and addresses the fans, and he knows how they feel, seeing the band on stage and wishing they were up there too. But through the power of music, and perhaps weed, as these, <laughs> they can be as one, all together as superstars in their dreams and fantasies. The chorus again brings those distinctive high harmonies, and there's a sweet, melodic, harmonized guitar solo. Then we get that breakdown section where Dennis again takes the spoken word role of ringmaster, carnival barker, melodramatically welcoming the fans to join him in their fantasies for a moment. All superstars. I fucking dig it, man. It's good Mm -hmm. shit. The next track is Come Sail Away, written by Dennis DeYoung. Steve, you like this one? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's one that, you know, this is like probably the stick song that's like way overplayed. And, uh, you know, the one that is, uh, you know, they're probably, I would say probably their best known song. Uh, maybe besides Babe, but like, I don't count that because it's a ballad and I fucking hate it. <laughs> but this is like kind of nice tender ballad in the beginning. The, the very beginning kind of reminds me of Freebird without the slide guitar. The kind of way that it comes in. It's got like the soulful vocals. It's very reflective. But this song's like a, it's like a like a two part song. Like, do you ever see the movie Dust the Dawn? Where yeah, yes. There there are guys where they're you know bank robbers and like they're these outlaws. Then they they get to this place and then it's a vampire movie. Right. You know, yeah. this is like a you know a, a nice ballad and then boom, it's you know they're they're in a fucking spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. You know, it's but it, it's musically it's great. And in the, in the middle they have that part. Uh, they're absolutely channeling their Steve Miller band in the middle of this song where you get all that. All that crazy, uh, <laughs> you know, back and forth with the synthesizer and everything like that, and then a, you know, the the rocking part kicks in. Like I love the guitars once that kicks back in, then it turns into the, you know, the spaceship, and then they're, uh, you know, they they're sailing in a ship, 
and then now it's a fucking spaceship and they're like sailing away. <laughs> it's a it's, it's a pretty powerful song though. I, I but I think it's like a like a two part song. Like it's like one and then the other, and and that's like typical of a lot of these classic rock songs. Uh, you know, Stairway to Heaven, Freebird. You have that build. You have that you know the the slow beginning and then it builds up and then you have sort of like the bombastic ending. And I think that's a good reason why a lot of these songs are so popular, just because of the the, the diverseness within the song. Yeah. Ray? Well, my story to this song kind of relates to um, that ship in Superstar that Steve mentioned. Uh, <laughs> but the, fact, the second time I ever smoked pot, a buddy of mine like really smoked me up. And um, <laughs> I remember like him giving me a ride back home and like this song coming on the radio. And I don't sing to the radio. I don't do any of that stuff. But the two of us were screaming at the top of our lungs. The chorus of the songs <laughs> were like riding up the hill to my house. And then I realized that maybe I'd smoked a little bit more than, like, I probably should have. Yeah. And I thought my brain was melting. <laughs> so I went down and I took a long nap. That was, like, my only t- the second time I'd ever been high. So yeah. it was it was a different experience. So every time this song comes on, I picture my head sticking out of a Datsun in 1991 <laughs> screaming, Come Sail Away. <laughs> Great memories. Good times. Takes you right back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but this song is definitely the tits. I like that little trill in the intro section that um, uh, Dennis DeYoung plays on the piano. And it kind of follows along the rules of counterpoint, which like there's in classical music, there's like certain rules that you had. And because he land on the five chord, which, you know, the one, four, five thing that but right sure. before it goes back to the one, the melody before it, any kind of rule of counterpoint has to go back to that root note that you hear. It's got to come up from beneath it on, from the seventh note or down from the second interval. And that's what that trill kind of handles in there is, is they hint at the one chord that's coming and it follows that exact line. I really don't think they were thinking about the rules of counterpoint when they were probably just like, this sounds really fucking good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. Let's do it. Put it on yeah. tape. Here, let's go outside. Uh, <laughs> but I love the intro and I never made the Freebird connection, Steve, but you're, I think you're absolutely right. Come to think of it. Because it is kind of that, that standard kind of chord progression to the 50s walk down, like the same kind of chord progression you hear in... Um, uh, Last Kiss, the uh, Pearl mm-hmm. Jam cover. Um, right. But their version on this song it just sounds awesome. I tend to prefer Dennis DeYoung vocals as background vocals, as I mentioned before. But songs like this and Grand Illusion are like really good vehicles for his vocals. Uh, and he really does kind of sh- come through on this stuff. Um, got some guitar minis and the Come Sail Away part that are really fucking awesome. And then the synth solo breakdown, it's got like a ton of like fifth Doctor Who Peter Davidson noises in the background. Yeah. I'm a huge Whovian, so <laughs> this plays into the, all that stuff for me. Yeah, I, I fucking love this song, man. Yeah. Dennis opens this up with that forlorn piano intro that seems to be influenced by classical music. We've kind of been saying this. Then the synths join in to slowly build the tension and continually ramp the song up. During all this, Dennis is singing about getting on the ship to sail the sea to be free. But as he looks at the waves, he's reminded of happy and sad childhood memories. And even though the happily ever after of fairy tales hasn't happened in real life, he'll do his best to carry on. Dennis said he wrote this when he was depressed and thought that Sticks would be more successful by that point. Then the guitars slam in and the track gets louder and more upbeat. The second part, like Steve was saying, as lyrically a gathering of angels appear above his head, transforming the tune into a song of hope and the angels beckoning him to sail away with them. John Pinozo's drums are a standout during this section as he plays pounding fills all over his kit, and there's a fast guitar solo passage with synth dive whoops that take the tune to a breakdown section where Dennis gets to synth his ass off with atmospheric blips and burbles, phasing wave-like sounds from right to left, and the whole thing does give you the feeling like you're sailing on the high seas. On that journey of hope, it's cool as shit. Then the guitars and drums return to bring us back to the heavier section, where Dennis tells us, hold on, they aren't angels, they're aliens, and they want us to sail away on their freaking starship. Angels, aliens, what's the fucking difference? All this time, the guitars are soloing away, but the chorus vocals are so in your face, you'll get sucked right in. Come sail away, come sail away. How can you not You get caught up in that? Who's paying attention to the guitars? This track is trippy and proggy, maybe a bit overplayed, but I still like it. And it's one of Styx's signature songs, and it was the first single that reached number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Miss America, written by James J.Y. Young.
How about this, Steve? This is my absolute favorite stick song. Fucking love this one. The beginning, that little part, the beginning. I don't. I can't get the the Final Jeopardy theme out of my fucking head when I hear the beginning of this <laughs> beginning of the song with just a little bit of acoustic guitar behind it. But it's uh, definitely a JY song. Uh, like I mentioned before, I, I think the lyrics are very cynical, and it's a it's a a refreshing change from the rest of the songs you've heard so far on the album. And it's a it's a great opener for side two because. Now you're like, wow, this is a totally different guy singing, totally different feel for the song. Like this is like the hard rock song on the album. And uh, I just loved his uh, his delivery of some of the things, you know, the queen of the United States, you know, uh, you know, have you lost your crown? I love that. And uh, I, I absolutely love the uh, the one verse down further. Uh, well, are you really who we think you are or does your smile seem to wear you down? Is the girl who you once were screaming to jump out? That is just fucking gold right there uh you know totally i think it captures the what you know you would think like i mean i mean seriously can someone fucking smile that much all the time (laughs) i love the lyrics like i said uh it's got a very uh urgent build up to the keyboard solo in the song and the lead work is fantastic you get that miss america and you get the the guitar like underneath that it's just great and this is another one that i don't mind how it fades out it just it just kind of like Miss America kind of fades out of everyone's memory. Like they said, you know, you're not going to remember who the hell last year's Miss America was. Right. I have no idea. Yeah. Like I was thinking about it. I was like, I've like the last 25, 30, I think the last Miss America I stuck out in my mind was uh, the one who got lost her crown because she was in penthouse. Vanessa Williams. Yeah. That's, a that's last, the only one I know. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. That's yep. about yeah, that's it. That's the only one I know. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I've seen her boobies. <laughs> that's why I remember her. <laughs> you got two reasons to remember her. She's <laughs> <laughs> still hot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, without a doubt, she's nice voice too. Yeah, yeah, cannot deny that. If you like that kind she's of stuff. saving the best for last. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Ray. What do you think? Uh, I, this song is like probably one of my favorites on this album. I, I love the shit out of this one. Yeah. Um, and that riff, I actually kind of sat down to figure out, and it's a really fun riff to play. I sat. I think I annoyed the hell out of my wife for like about a good fifteen minutes, which I usually do when I play guitar. I think I know most <laughs> know, know most people, but particularly my wife, which kind of makes things fun for me. I love how <laughs> uh, if the, the intro, if you listen to it, this is Burt Park's Miss America theme song. It's the same melody. Like, Here she is, yeah. Miss America. But they take it and they like put a put it a minor key behind it, which turns it into like the science fiction space dirge. Yeah, which is really fucking mint. Then of course you got that main riff that kicks all types of ass. And I think JY does a good vocal performance on it. It fits the song. It fits the lyrics that he's spitting out, too. Um, I, I really enjoy that. The solo has got some decent whammy work that I think actually some of the things. I'm wondering if Eddie was listening to this album because some of the. Eddie. Van Halen. Oh, oh, yeah. Because some of the. Because <laughs> some of it definitely. It wasn't like your Hendrixy kind of whammy work. It was just some of it sounds mm-hmm. like almost a precursor to what Eddie was doing. Right, it was like deeper. Album. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And what I love most is how the guy who played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lamb comes in the ending of the song. He's like, Miss America. Yeah. <laughs> would you fuck the lotion me? on Miss America. <laughs> <laughs> would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me hard. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's all I got. The song is fucking awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you hurt my dog. <laughs> oh, say, are you about a size seven and a half? <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's going to be like a recurring theme on this podcast. How many times have we mentioned him? Buffalo Bill. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> the first thing you hear is that dirge like synth pulses with slowly strummed arpeggiated chords that goes on for about 50 seconds and then suddenly it turns into this nice crunchy riff and blammo. I had no idea sticks could rock this hard. James J.Y. Young sings this, and his voice is much rougher and unschooled than the other two. It almost sounds like some wino on a street corner <laughs> ranting about the impending apocalypse, the way he delivers these lyrics. <laughs> but as a change of pace, I can get into it. The instrumental leads are first played by Dennis, and they're loud and chaotic and fit over John Pinozo's double rolls. Then the guitar takes a crack at the solo and matches the synth's intensity. The lyrics take to task the fact that women are often judged by their looks, filtered through the lens of the Miss America beauty pageant, but it was inspired by J.Y.'s wife, Susie, who suffered from a skin condition called porphyria and her struggles with the disease, summed up in that lines that you actually recited there, uh, Steve, right. so that they actually directly reference his wife. 
Hmm. So, yeah, this was an important song to JY. Yeah. JY really barks out the, Aren't you? Don't you? Won't you? On the chorus. And he uses that low Elvis. Well, you, well, now it's Buffalo Bill. I was going to say Elvis. Mr. Buffalo Bill. As the track winds down. Okay, okay. Buffalo Bill. Sounds like he's squeezing one out. <laughs> yeah, it does, right? <laughs> Jay White, you okay in there? Oh, good. Fuck you! <laughs> this is one of my favorite tracks on the record, Rock On Sticks. <laughs> the following track is Man in the Wilderness, written by Tommy Shaw. Steve, your thoughts? Another great song. I there's nothing about this song that I don't like. Uh, it, it's like the vocals are, are they're heartfelt. They're very reflective. You hear this the the striking match in the beginning of that. In the mm-hmm. beginning of the yep. song, if you listen to it, you hear the striking match there. So you know, are they firing one up or are they lighting a candle? You, you never know. It could go either way. Um, it kind of gives like a like a tough life on the road kind of song. And he's uh, is he maybe sick of hooking up and he wants he's looking looking for love, but then. Uh, it goes into the the guitar sound on this is really good for the solo. Um, it's got a ripping solo in it when they play. The, the drums are great on it. The build back in, into the chorus is just like absolutely fucking phenomenal. Um, you know, he's a lonely soldier going off to war. The part stops like after that. Dun, dun, you know, you get that that stop and start like at the end of the song. It just punctuates, I think, just that that powerful part of the song. And uh, listen to listen to his like anguish screams at the end of this song. It's just like. Talk about squeezing one out. Holy shit. Either that or someone's like squeezing him. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it's a fucking fantastic song. It's it's just uh, – it's one that you don't hear a lot. It's a, it's a definitely a deep track, but it's fucking great. I love the deep tracks on this record. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think this album just gets better and better personally yeah. right, every song. Yeah. And it starts off great too. So Ray, how about this track? Oh, I love the ever-loving shit out of this song. I'm not 100% sure that it was a conscious decision on either Adrian Smith's or uh, – Dave Murray's part, but I think that they subconsciously nicked some of the melody of this for Children of the Damned. That it doesn't mean make me. Hey, I mean, I, I I'm gonna play devil's advocate here and say that it was a subconscious thing. And there's yeah. only so many notes. I mean, people are gonna recycle things. Yes, but um, I also love that melody in this song. Yeah, <laughs> I think it really kind of brings kind of like you know like a morose feeling atmosphere to the song. This song is mint, and once again, like I said, I do prefer Tommy Shaw lead vocals over the two of them, but that, I still like Dennis DeYoung's stuff as well. Um, they got like a, the three minute twelve mark. They beef up the riffle of that part, which I like. Got some great guitar harmonies at the four minute and three second mark that go with the keys, and um, at the end, yeah, I think Steve was mentioning Tommy screams falsetto screams in the makes no sense at all part. Yeah, man, it yep. sends chills up your spine. It does. It's really fucking awesome. It really does. He's, he's singing it. He's, he's selling the, the line there. Yeah. Yep. Like very anguished. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly the word I wrote, Steve, anguished. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, it's funny that you mentioned that initial guitar melody that you think that Maiden might have nicked this. Yeah. When I first heard this guitar melody, I was reminded of the Jimi Hendrix song, 1983. Oh. You know, very similar. It's different. It's not exactly the same, but I got the same vibe from it. No, I can I can hear that. Yeah. But Tommy said that musically, this was inspired by a Kansas show he saw, and he started writing this the next day. Hmm. The first half of the song is kind of a ballad with acoustic guitars and background synths in the verses and a slow tempo that stays the same even when the chorus gets somewhat heavier. Dennis plays this synth line that almost sounds like a wood flute that kind of flitters around most of the track, Mm -hmm. and it kind of stays in your head, adding to the pathos of the song. Then not long after the halfway point, a new harder edge riff comes in, and the track goes into the guitar solo. It has close to that tone I don't like, Oh yeah. (laughs) but I do love the frenetic playing, so I'm going to give it a pass this time. (laughs) Then it leads to a guitar mini passage that's absolutely the tits. It's well done. Yeah. We get to that final chorus, and the initial guitar returns for the fade-out. Tommy said the lyrics are about his older brother who returned from the Vietnam War and the newfound fame that 
Tommy was going through and the loneliness that results from no one being able to understand the feelings these type of experience cause. Tommy really pours his heart into the vocals. It's totally affecting. And he lets out those anguish screams as the track begins to fade. You can't hear that and not be affected by it. It's, oh, yeah. You know, if you're into the yep. track and you're, into, and you're really listening to it, you go, oh, shit, man. This guy's feeling it. Yeah. He totally sells it to me. This is another winner. Mm-hmm. The penultimate track is Castle Walls, written by Dennis DeYoung. Steve, what do you think? Another great track. Um, like the vocally on this album is just uh, a home run for me. Uh, the vo- his voice is fantastic on this. Dennis's voice, and um, you can kind of feel that kind of marching quality to it. Like kind of you could you could see the castle and you get that down down. You can kind of see the you know the the knights with their shields and stuff kind of marching to the tone of the song. And uh, but this song gets really friggin' proggy. It gets like 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 holy shit. Like uh, when it goes into that, I think John Carpenter ripped this off for Halloween. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, definitely. If yeah. you hear like that, I mean, I'm thinking as soon as I, I hear that, I'm thinking that's fucking Halloween. And uh, but then the song gets into like a, a Pink Floyd kind of uh, feel to it, and then. Uh, when it comes back in the song, you, uh, just like it and the, the Grand Illusion, you kind of get that triumphant feel that, na, 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 you know, you can kind of picture the marching band smashing their cymbals to it as they're, you know, they're marching along playing that's, uh, that part of the song. And then once it gets back into right before the solo, you, you get kind of a feel of like a like a battle going on, uh, you know, in, in my mind anyways. And uh, it kind of reminds me of. The middle part in uh, the longest day from Iron Maiden on a uh, matter of life and death. I love that like track. The, like the middle of that song, you could see these guys like on Omaha Beach just grinding it out, and I kind of get that battle kind of feel at the just for that one small part of the song. Totally agree. I just I like the the, the tempo behind the solo, and then uh, it's got like a, a jazzy slash bluesy kind of guitar thing going on at the end there. I, I think it's just another great goddamn song. All right. Ray, I love the. Uh, this is another song I absolutely love. As soon as like I heard it, I was always sucked in. Great vehicle for Dennis Young's vocals. He does a stellar job on this song, without a doubt in my mind. There's some weird heavy breathing, like somebody's kind of getting their groove yeah. on in the beginning. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that, or there's somebody being tortured, and or maybe they're getting tortured and getting their groove on. I suppose <laughs> you can incorporate both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it sounds like I can't tell if that's a, an electric harpsichord or an actual harpsichord, and the organ playing the kind of the same melody. Either way, it sounds fucking incredible. At the 1 minute 30 second mark, you get the chorus gets heavier with vocal harms and distorted guitar. And then I think, Steve, you mentioned there's one of the guys is playing kind of like West Montgomery style guitar octaves. It kind of made me, thought, made me think of, um, it was like a Bob Welch era Fleetwood Mac Fleetwood song. Mac. Like Hypnotize or something. Yeah. That, that's what it reminded me of like some of those. Songs. I also love guitar octave stuff too, whether it's Hendrix or if it's West Montgomery or even Eric Johnson. So I like that part. It kind of definitely appealed to me. And then the, the John Carpenter play, Steve, I'm so glad you mentioned that, too, because I exactly thought that. <laughs> like, John Carpenter definitely nicked some ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a part where they're, they're in the John Carpenter part, where John <laughs> Pinozo gets some roles in that kind of remind me of Nick Mason's parts in time in the intro with the, the, the kind of really distant, like, Roto-Tom noises right. in the background. Pink right. Floyd, like Steve said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Just yeah. like basically I'm saying exactly what you said. Yeah, really. Um, then we come to some guitar. You guys are stealing my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> we get some other great guitar music. And as far as like harmony leads, how come these two? I think these guys were probably equally as good as, as Thin Lizzy. And for me, Thin Lizzy is like the benchmark the I measure any. Yeah, yeah. without it. And maybe like some of the stuff that the Boston did. Yeah, okay, not some of the stuff. A lot of stuff Boston did in their first yeah. couple albums. I love Queen. It. Yeah, Queen, yeah. But I, I think these guys were excellent harmony lead players. And in the end, the, the solo is backed up by a really slow gallop. It's like, dun, 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 dun. And it really yeah. kind of builds the intensity. This song is fucking awesome. Yeah. I can say a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, this song's got... You know what? You guys said everything 
there needs to be said about this, but fuck it, I'm going to say my piece anyway, and I don't care. I didn't repeat you say it more, a lot more eloquently well, than yeah, I ever yeah, do. Yeah, so. That's right. true. Yeah, that's right. true. <laughs> Bullshit. This song's got a grandiose, epic feel, though it begins with that simple bass note plunking, doom, doom, followed by the keyboards playing the basic melody that sound almost like a harpsichord, along with background organ lines. The keys get more intricate and build up until the drums pound us into the hard rocking chorus with big booming vocals. Then more atmospheric noodling with the keyboards that, to me, you guys said John Carpenter, and I do hear that, yeah. but I picked up on uh, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which oh, you in The Exorcist. yeah, good choice. Same yeah. kind of thing, though. It's oh, the okay. horror movie shit. You yeah. know what I mean? All, then, all these pieces of music sound similar. Probably, they're like, must have been like stock Oberheim songs, yeah. sounds back then. While the guitars blare out the chords and the drums do some periodic tom fills and whoosh, back to the steady bass and the guitar is doing a harmonized version of the keyboard intro melody. And that's followed by an excellent bendy guitar solo, a final chorus, and a moody, dreamlike fade out. It sounds complex, but it's sort of drawn out and it doesn't feel cramped or forced. Dennis shows a little bit of restraint with his vocals and he doesn't belt them out or raise his voice to commanding presence like he often does. I read that Dennis said the castle walls and the lyrics are protection, they're metaphorical, a safe place, home and family, and that he'd have to leave the safety of the walls if he's going to go find success in a touring band. He's nervous, he's scared to go, he was suffering from major depression as the band was writing the record, but he knows he has to go beyond the walls and meet his destiny. This is darkly atmospheric and moody, and for those of you who like this kind of shit, this is the seventh track on Styx's seventh album, which was released on the seventh day of the seventh month in 1977. Coincidence? I think not. Mm. Actually, I like this one a lot, too. Really <laughs> That's pretty fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the final track, The Grand Finale, written by Dennis DeYoung, James J.Y. Young, and Tommy Shaw. about this last one really short two minute song um good ending to the album it's just kind of like a reprise of uh the grand illusion and um dennis young uh donned his top hat again uh, the carnival barker is back for this uh at the end of the song it's a, a good one and, and actually this album kind of screwed me because i was going to but i couldn't do it with this album because my catchphrase was going to be steve's shitty song selection <laughs> I don't have one on this album. I was like, "Fuck!" I, like, I don't get to, I don't get to do that for a song and actually mean it. So, um, but I think it's a, a great end to the song. You know, you have uh, you know "Sail Away" in there. You have "Superstars" in there. You have "Grand Illusion" in there. So um, it, it wraps it up in a, in a in a tight little box at the end there. And um, you know, deep inside, we're all the same, <laughs> right? Uh, man, I got to tell you, I, I think this is a clever way to end the album. It is short, but you're getting like the Reader's Digest version of some of the most powerful songs in the track. It starts out with Chuck Pinoza doing that seven to the root bass note that he's got on Superstar. And even the keys and the vocal harms follow the Superstar melody. But you're also getting, like you said, Sail Away and your elements of the, the first track, The Grand Illusion. But you have like some guitar power chords behind Dennis Young's verse section. And what is that, like... Two minutes, one minute. How long is the whole track? Like, yeah, yeah, by two minutes. Yeah, minute fifty-seven. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Just to wrap it all up into that without like sounding you know hokey or corny or even like smarmy. Yeah, I can think of any other adjectives. Yeah, it just sounds really cool, and I think it's a superb way to end the album. Yeah, so this is the sort of summing up of everything we've heard on the album. Various themes from most of the tracks on the record are mashed into this final statement. It reiterates that life is a grand illusion and we're all the same. Dennis is back in that ringmaster, Carnival Barker voice. And there's guitar minis, keyboard melodies, combinations of vocal melodies, and I don't hate it. I get that it bookends the album. And that concept isn't original. You hear that a lot in concept albums, actually. Mm. To me, it just smacks of, we got two minutes to fill, let's whip something up and get this record done. What? Why is it here? It's a concept album, dunce. This pulls everything together. Okay, Sticks, whatever. I'll give it this. It's only two minutes long, and it's the shortest track. And that's a good thing, because it's... Aaron Stinky Stinker! 
Actually, it's it's fine. It's yeah, fine. <laughs> but yeah, I gotta have one, right? <laughs> you gotta have one. Yeah, you gotta pick yeah. one, right? Yeah. yeah. Now that the track by track is completed, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which is fucking fooling itself. <laughs> Steve, give us your final thoughts on the Grand Illusion. My final thoughts on the Grand Illusion: uh, absolutely Desert Island album for me. I love every track on this song, on this album, and uh, it, it's a fun album to listen to. It's it's only like. 38 minutes long so it's you know it's not a it's not a perfect length uh, long album yeah it's uh it's 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 a great length for the album you get invested in the song and boom it's over and here comes another one and the deep tracks on this album are just absolutely phenomenal and uh this like i said to you this would be the album that if someone said you know what would you recommend for sticks this would be the album that i would be handing them and uh i want to thank you guys for for inviting me on the show it's been great and uh I uh, I don't know. I, I just started listening to you guys a couple months ago, and I'm like, I have no idea how I miss this fucking podcast. I love it. And uh, <laughs> my only disappointment is that um, Shannon wasn't joining us this evening. I yeah. love that she, when she's on the show because um, on our podcast we have uh, two different females. We have Jen and Heather that come on, and it's always great to have that that other point of view. Yes, uh, I agree. You know, it's like podcasting is predominantly guys, yes. like the ones that I listen to. And especially rock rock ones, and it's so great to have a different that different perspective that you know kind of give you a little extra thought to what you're listening to, and I just I just love that. But uh, I love the show, guys, and thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for the compliments, Ray. Your final thoughts? Um, you know, kind of like Leonard Skinner. You know, I've heard a lot of these things like a million and one times for this album, uh, and, and for a while that kind of soured me to them. I kind of like after a certain point, I was kind of lumping them in with like Ario Speedwagon in Kansas. Who on their own had a couple of good songs, but like I wouldn't say I was like a you know a super fan. You know, having had the chance to listen to this album, I, my mind has totally changed about this band. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, uh, it's great a mix of prog and classic '70s rock, which I love. And I'll always throw down for Sticks vocal harmonies anytime. And uh, this is like a total vocal harm orgy. I was going to give it a four, but no, I'm going to go as far as to say this is a four and a half for me. This yeah. is good. I could see, like, I'm going to be sticking with this album just as much as I've been sticking with uh, Queen's Rage for Order. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to this on a frequent basis. It'll, it'll become a five, sure, before you know it. Nice. Styx occupies an odd place in the hierarchy of rock bands. They play this pop-rock-prog hybrid of music that never settles firmly in one genre and that seems to piss off a lot of people. The prog fans think they're too poppy, and believe me, there's a certain segment of prog rock fans that are extremely snobby. They can't stand sticks. And some pop and rock fans feel that the band is too weird and too complex, too pretentious. By 1975, Styx had signed with A&M Records after releasing four albums on the independent Wood Nickel Records, and they were touted as an up-and-coming act. They put out the album Equinox, which gained Styx some traction on album-oriented rock radio, and in 1976 they released Crystal Ball, featuring new guitarist-vocalist Tommy Shaw, and it was a modest success, but the band members, and in particular Dennis DeYoung, felt that Styx was underachieving in sales and stature and he fell into a deep depression. This cynical, world-weary, jaded point of view would seep into the writing of The Grand Illusion, as the principal writers were becoming disillusioned with the music business and began to view the world with wider, less optimistic eyes. Interestingly, this moody attitude seemed to inspire them as well, and the band crafted some of the more recognizable tunes in their catalog, resulting in The Grand Illusion becoming Styx's breakthrough album and going triple platinum. This began the band's most successful period, and they ended up as one of the world's biggest bands in the late 70s, early 80s, but still, there's always been that shadow of disrespect from critics and the public that seemed to hang over them, which frankly, they could laugh about all the way to the bank. Personally, I never cared to dig into sticks. I just thought, yeah, they're alright, but doing this episode of the podcast has really opened my eyes to what they could bring to the table. I was shocked at how much I dig this record. There's some really good songwriting and playing on it, and to my great surprise, I found a new level of respect for Sticks. I give The Grand Illusion a four. And Steve, I gotta thank you for making me give Sticks a chance. It makes me want to check out some of their other material, and this is an album I will go back to in the future. Ditto that, Steve. Thank oh, no you. problem. For sure. I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad we were able to talk about it. It's, it's uh, been one of my favorite albums, and um, just love it. Yeah. Now we have to thank Steve Wright of the Potter Than Hell podcast for coming on the show and helping us to see the light to sticks. We hope you had a good time. Yeah. 
Oh, I had an awesome time. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on, like I said. And uh, um, uh, anytime you guys need someone to, to come on, I'm, I'm available. Absolutely. Well, yep. Please. We'll be calling you up again. Yes. <laughs> Why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast and anything else you want to plug? All right. We are uh, Potter the Hell podcast. We are a rock and uh, heavy metal podcast. And we, we delve into some other stuff. Uh, our uh, Dylan, my son, he is our guest host also. And, a, uh, and he actually produces the show and does all the editing. So all the... You know, he, he, he rocks so we could roll. And uh, BC is uh, my, my my faithful co-host. And BB, we have – there's four of us uh, to do the podcast. And, and we just have a great time. We've had many guests. Uh, and we'll definitely be getting together with you guys to do something. Hell yeah. Hmm. So give it, check us out if you're listening to us. Uh, whatever platform you're listening to us here, you'll, you could probably – you could find us on uh, Potter Than Hell on whatever you're listening to this podcast on. And uh, check us out. Let us know what you think. Yeah, and I'm a faithful Potter than Hellion. I think I discovered you guys like two episodes in. You launched right before we did. So I, I remember looking around for podcasts and I stumbled on yours and I've just been, you know, ever since I've been a, so I've been a long time listener almost from the very beginning. So yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate your support. And I remember your name from the, like you said, from the very beginning, uh, one of the, the first loyal listeners I and I, I appreciate it. Yep. Great. We got a mutual admiration society here. Word. Very nice. Oh, and and uh, one more time, Ray, happy birthday, buddy. Oh, thank yeah. you. Birthday boy. It. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us like Steve just did? Give us a shout and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host a show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ray. See ya. Don't forget to flush. Good. Yeah. Good. Can I complain? Now, what part of Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Um, Scranton area. Okay. Uh, we're pretty much about uh maybe two hour, two two and a half hours, like equal distance from New York and Philly. So, all right. We get a good mix of stuff, so it's cool. That's cool. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So you go to Dunder Mifflin, or? <laughs> oh, I, I bet you don't get that a lot, do you? Bet you don't get that a lot, do you? <laughs> oh no, never, never. never. <laughs> you know what? And uh, we uh. Todd Poole was, like, grilling me about it, and I'm like, I'm going to have a hard to tell him I fucking hate that show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he's, he's like, me and my wife are going to come up, and you're going to give us a you're gonna give us a tour of all the, all the office sites and everything. And I'm thinking, fuck, and I'm going to really have to start watching this fucking show that I hate. <laughs> I don't know about you, Steve, but while we record these things, I, I, I drink at least, like, two cans of soda, and I just... <laughs> My throat is dry. I have my HD on here. Yeah. I, I, I lay off the beer until after we're done. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't when we do our podcast. You don't, you don't, you don't drink? No, we don't lay off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We should try that one time. Oh, that would be amazing. We never, we've never done that. We should. We've never gotten plastered on the show. <laughs> that would have been probably pretty fun. We should get Steve on and go, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. 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 Three. We're gonna have to donate this to the podcast museum. Somewhere. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'll throw. I have a five subject one. I gotta throw in there too. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. The handwritten notes. And, yep. if, and if people can read our writing, then you know they'll get like you know a year long free pass. Yeah. It's, it's gonna have to come with a with a cipher. Yeah. <laughs>
Because <laughs> we can't read our own shit. It's like the Zodiac code. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you can break yep. it. <laughs> Get a special decoder ring. <laughs> Drink more Ovaltine. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs>